Hi, this is Kirk Reed. Bear with me as we need a little compliance disclosure. In our practice, we give financial advice to our clients. We know their financial situation in detail before doing so. That's generally not the case with callers we speak with on the show. We can't give truly meaningful financial advice because we don't know the detailed financial situation of the caller. After all, we just met. Any suggestions we make to callers are generic in nature and meant to steer a caller in the right direction. Callers should check with their own financial professionals before implementing any suggestions that we may make. At times on this show, we talk about investments and investment performance. Investment returns are not guaranteed and past performance does not guarantee future results. You're listening to McNamara on Money. My name is Kirk Reed, one of the financial advisors at McNamara Financial. We have locations in Marshfield, Massachusetts, and also in the Merrimack Valley. Joined today in the studio by Bernadette Faulkner. Good morning again, Bernadette. Good morning, Kirk. We've had a good first hour. It has flown by. We've been talking about long-term care and setting the stage for long-term care insurance as a as a way to pay for care. We haven't really got into the, the policies so much, but that's where we're going to go now. And I believe we have Matt Anderson on the line. You do. Good All right. morning. Good morning, Matt. How are you? Doing well. Good morning, Matt. I have to not just first introduce you, but introduce where you are. So Matt's my hero of the day. <laughs> Matt, when I work with clients, after I understand their needs, etc., the first place I call is CPS Insurance, and Matt is an executive there. They are in, because they are my source for all my insurance products. They work with all of the insurance underwriters across the country, the good ones, not all of them. They work with the best, and they help me match my clients' needs to different insurance companies, different plans, etc. Anyway, Matt is in Irvine, California, so if you do the math or the clock, it's 6 a.m. there, so good morning morning, Matt. You are my hero because I asked you two days ago if you would get up this morning and join us on this call and you enthusiastically said yes. It's actually nice because I got a little bit of payback this morning. Usually I'm the last one to get up on the weekends, but I got up early this morning and made sure that I woke up everyone else in the house because that's what they love to do to me on Saturday. And you had your kids make you breakfast and... Exactly. Oh, good. Did you walk around the house with like pots and pans and just banging them and getting everybody up? Turned on all the lights. Yeah. Went and made sure I gave them all kisses in bed. Said, good morning, rise and shine. It's a beautiful Saturday. Let's get up. Yeah. Exactly. No sleeping in. Just remi- yeah, remind them that it's nine It's nine o'clock in uh, Massachusetts and they're behind. They're already behind. We're, we're way ahead of you guys and we're being productive. <laughs> exactly right. Let's get up and be productive. That's right. My five-year-old wasn't so sure about it, but yeah, he eventually got out of bed. Yeah, yeah. I would, yeah, he probably didn't buy into that just yet. But And the other thing I'll say is I did have to look at the weather in Irvine this morning to see what your life was like and ours. And so it is a beautiful Southern California day here in Massachusetts. <laughs> We're mid-70s and sunny, and it's a beautiful uh New England day in California because you're mid seventies and sunny. We're sitting in the same weather. I love that. Yes, yes. I love that. So, Matt, maybe could you maybe just introduce yourself and talk a little bit about CPS insurance? Yes, yeah, so CPS insurance is what's called a brokerage general agency, and while most consumers aren't even necessarily aware that kind of layer exists what our primary role is and what my primary role is advisor training right there's many multiple facets to 
insurance, whether it's life insurance, long-term care, disability, or annuities. My personal expertise is long-term care. So my job is to go out and educate financial advisors about the dangers of long-term care and then help them find the best solution for their particular client and their particular situation. And sometimes health comes into play, sometimes their financial situation comes into play, their needs and wants, whatever it may be, it's really my job to take the information and make a recommendation to the financial advisor about which way to move forward for that particular client. In the first half of the show, Matt, Bernadette and I have just been talking about what are the costs of care, what are the different ways to have care provided for you, and we've, just, we've been alluding to long-term care insurance as a potential, a potential way to, to cover that, but we haven't really talked about policies specifically. So I guess we were we were hoping that, that you could be part of that conversation as far as what are the different types of policies that are available and, ho- and maybe hopefully even get into some costs, or at least at a high level. As, as we were talking earlier, when I, and Bernadette agreed with me, when you mention long-term care insurance to someone, typically the words out of their mouth are, I heard it's expensive. And so I wanted, to, I don't know if you could maybe talk about what kind of leverage do you get by paying these premiums? What, what are you getting on the other end? And, and whether it's expensive or not, is a very relative term. It all depends on what what kind of value is it providing. So I don't know if we could maybe talk about those types of things. Yeah, certainly. And I wasn't sure when you're saying long-term care is expensive, is that the insurance or is that the care that you need? The the insurance specifically. People have no idea how much care costs, but certainly when I talk to clients or even before their clients, if I mention long-term care insurance, they say, oh yeah, I've heard that's expensive. Yeah. That, there's right. an immediate kind of block. So, yeah, you know, as Kurt said, it's all relative to the value you're getting. Yeah, so how, would, how do you think it's best to approach it? We're talking to the consumer right now. We're talking to the audience of people who are listening to a financial show because they want to learn and they've tuned in on this topic. Yeah, I'd say just first starting globally, right? If you are interested in exploring protection for long-term care, what are the different categories or options of types of plans that are available? And I oversimplify it and break it up into there's really four different ways that you can plan for an extended health event. First, which is what most are doing right now, is self-insure, right? So if you have an extended health event, you're going to pay dollar for dollar for the cost of care, whatever that cost may be. That's coming out of your savings, coming out of your social security income, coming out of your retirement. I'm totally fine with that as an option, as long as someone's actively choosing that as their option. My only problem is if someone defaults into that option because they don't want to explore or look at the options because they're afraid it's going to be too expensive. But if after looking at all the options, you choose that self-insuring is the most efficient way for you, totally fine with that, totally on board, and some do decide that. But if you're interested in putting sharing some of the costs with an insurance company, there's three other major types of plans. The first is been around the longest called traditional long-term care. And some people equate that to similar to car insurance, right? So we don't know what's gonna happen in the future. We don't know if someone is going to have a long-term care event or not, but they can choose to pay monthly or annual premiums. 
as until they need care. And in return, they're going to have a big pool of money that they can use to help pay for the cost of care. I'd like to describe that type of plan as laser-focused, right? Because it's only providing for one concern, long-term care. It's going to help keep the premiums more affordable because if you don't have a claim, then the insurance company is going to keep all of the premiums that they collected from you. But you do need to create ways in which the insurance company can win. So I think that's an okay proposition. And that's, that type of coverage has been around the longest. And as you pay your monthly or annual premiums, in return, you're going to be given a monthly benefit that you can access tax-free to pay for the cost of care should you need it down the road. You mentioned, oh, sorry to interrupt, Matt. I just, you mentioned about it's been around the longest, but can you put it, can you ascribe a date to that? Or, because I know it, yeah. to me, it hasn't been around all that long. I mean, it's still relative, it's not, no. yeah. And that's probably one of the biggest problems with the long-term care space in general is it is a relatively new type of insurance. Traditional long-term care plans have been around since mid-70s, but really picked up in kind of the mid-90s. Okay. And because it's a new type of insurance, quite honestly, insurance companies didn't really know what they were doing. And they made a bunch of assumptions of how they thought it would work, and many of those assumptions have proven wrong. But they live and learn. That's really the first type it has been around. It's what most think of when they think of long-term care insurance, a monthly or annual premium, and in return you get this pool of money to pay for care. If you stop paying your premiums, there's no benefit. And if you pass away peacefully, there's no benefit. But that's okay, because it helps keep the premiums affordable. The second type of plan that's available would be what I call a hybrid or linked benefit type of plan. And with that type of plan, you do value long-term care. That's primarily what you're looking to accomplish is a robust long-term care plan. But you also value some guarantees and you also value some flexibility. Let me tell you how that works. With a linked benefit or hybrid plan, you're really going to accomplish three things all at one time. And some people say live, quit, or die. And I know it was a very painful conversation for me personally, talking with my father-in-law, going through the process of long-term care planning. But at the end of the day, he personally felt he would never need care. He just couldn't envision a world where he would need care. So his, from his perspective, spending any type of money on a LTC plan was a waste because he thought he was just gonna pass away peacefully. I don't know if he was right or wrong. He's still living and healthy, fortunately. We'll see in the long run. But he really wanted that flexibility piece because he did not want to pay premiums and in the end, never need care and waste all of that money. So with a linked benefit plan, it's gonna do three things all at one time. It's gonna provide some cash value so that if you change your mind down the road, you can walk away with part of the premiums or all of the premiums that you had put into the plan. In addition to that, it's going to provide a very modest death benefit. So if you should pass away peacefully without ever having a claim, you're going to be returned a little bit more than what you put into the plan. When I say modest, it's pretty modest. But that's okay because those are backup benefits, right? Your primary purpose is long-term care, and that's the third piece that it provides 
It provides a giant pool of money for long-term care. And with that, it also provides guarantees. So the premiums are guaranteed, the benefits are guaranteed, there's no way that the carrier could ever change any of the terms of the agreement. So you know exactly what you're getting into day one, and you know exactly how it's going to perform down the road. And those, Matt, and the, so the premiums for that type of, this type of policy, this link benefit, what are the, you said that they're basically guaranteed, and what are the different, are there are different time frame options for what you can elect, or how does that work? Yeah, so with option one, traditional LTC, you're really paying those premiums over your lifetime until you need care. With the link benefit or hybrid plan, historically they started as single premiums. And when I say single premium, it does range $100,000, seventy-five dollars to $150,000. Single premium would be deposited into the account and be left and you'd have your pool of money. Again, you'd get that money back if you passed away, if you changed your mind, but you'd have that leveraged long-term care piece. The biggest change that we've seen over the past 10 years is that the hybrid link benefit space, they're no longer required to do single premiums. So carriers are now much more willing to do a 10 pay schedule or a pay to 65 or even a 20 pay or pay for the rest of your life type of plan design on those, which kind of puts it back into that traditional LTC category of being able to spread these payments out in an affordable way over the rest of your life. But with the knowledge that the premiums cannot be increased. Correct. And that's probably been the biggest complaint about traditional long-term care, is that the carriers thought they knew how things would work. It's been, they've been proven wrong. And many of those policies have had rate increases down the road. That's not a possibility on this option two. On the hybrid link benefit plans, those premiums are guaranteed, and there's no way they could ever be changed or altered, which I think is a tremendous value for the consumer. It's, uh, yeah, I think it certainly gives people, people that are considering this at all, it gives them peace of mind. I know we ha- I, we have a client that, that has the traditional long-term care insurance, and not too long ago, they received a letter saying, if you want to continue the same level of coverage, your premiums are now going to be basically 2x. So they're basically going to be close to double what they were originally paying. And that's obviously not a fault of the consumer. That was the insurance company's underpriced what the care was going to be. And and maybe you can talk about this, but I know that they can't just, you can't just raise the premium for an individual. It has to, they have to get approval from the state and it has to be for a certain class or a certain, a more generic population. But I've seen that in real life and I know that can happen and I don't know what's to prevent that from happening going forward or what's the likelihood that continues. I could probably talk for an hour about <laughs> traditional long-term care rate increases. I, I don't want to get too bogged down, but Personally, I think they are predisposed to have future rate increases, right? And some of those older plans, their assumptions are grossly wrong. And consumers that that own those policies are going to continue to see rate increases. I do think it's, the good news is, it's okay. It's almost like those older policies, the consumer is stealing money from the insurance company because they're so under based on what they should have cost that in, in almost every single case it makes sense for the consumer to hold on to that policy and continue to pay those premiums. Any rate increase that ever happens is never going to generate profit for the insurance company. The insurance company is already losing 
billions of dollars on those older price plans. And a rate increase is only going to try to bring them back or closer to a break-even point, but never to get to a break-even point. Hmm. That's probably, yeah, it's interesting. The consumer probably never feels that or thinks that way, but it's inter- no, interesting consumer, that that's... No, yeah. and I totally understand from the consumer perspective of, hey, we had entered this agreement where I'm paying X, and now you're coming back 10 years later and telling me that I need to pay two times X, that's a problem for me. And I completely understand that being a problem for consumers, which is one of the major reasons why I'm such a proponent of linked benefits or hybrid plans. It's 100% guaranteed the premiums can't be changed. You know exactly what you're getting into, you're committing to that, and you know exactly what type of benefits you're gonna have on the back end. Which is a great thing, to the hybrid plans to talk about in the second half of this hour. But a question, Matt. So if a client said to me, or said to you, you've told me the whole spectrum lay of the land on what I, what I have as options. I really want to go with traditional long-term care insurance. You tell me what the premiums are. What kind of assumptions might you say to them? I know the, the, when, you get a, when you're quoted a premium, when you start a policy, the expectation is that the premium won't change. What kind of assumption would you say to someone that they should make regarding premiums? That they might go up, that they might, you might want to count on X. Would you give them any guidance on that so that they don't overpurchase on the front end? Yeah, so I, the first thing that I would say is that whatever premium you're deciding to commit to, especially on traditional long-term care, you need to make 100% sure that you're comfortable paying that because especially with traditional LPC, if you stop paying that premium, then there's no benefit to that policy. I'd say old plans versus new plans, there is a pretty big delineation between the risk for a future rate increase. So insurance companies have learned from their mistakes in the past. These are not my numbers, but there's a an actuarial that, was, that came out, and there's really three things that affect price stability on traditional long-term care plans. Interest rate assumptions, lapse rate assumptions, then claims. And most people think that these insurance companies underestimated the claim piece, and it's actually the lapse rate. So insurance companies thought that people would buy traditional LPC plans pay the premiums for a couple of years, and then let the plan go. And that has proven far from the case. People hang on to these policies, and then they actually use these policies. And that's been the biggest dif- differentiator between their pricing assumptions, what they thought it was gonna work like, versus what it's actually working like. But this independent study was, it suggests that any currently priced policy has about a 10% chance of ever needing a rate increase moving forward, and that if there is an increase, expect about a 10% increase. There's a whole bunch of reasons as to why they say that. I feel like that's a little bit conservative. I'd be prepared for maybe a larger rate increase, potential for a larger rate increase, but current policies being sold can be about a 10% chance your premiums should change. And if they do, they expect it to change by about 10%. And you're talking about over the life of the policy, not annually. 
Correct. Okay. Correct. Yeah, I was gonna I was gonna ask the same question. You know what, Matt? So we're gonna we're gonna take a break here in a minute. So I'm just gonna pause and you know, of course, you know, first of all, say thank you for joining us. And, but don't and, leave. Yeah, don't <laughs> don't hang up. Don't hang up. This is it's a toll free, right, Tim? This is toll free call. Yeah. <laughs> yes, yes, yeah. it is. Sure. Yeah. yeah. So we have on the line Matt Anderson from CPS Insurance in the studio. We have Bernadette Faulkner, Faulkner Insurance Advisory. My name is Kirk Reed from McNamara Financial. We're talking about long-term care insurance. When we come back, we'll well, we'll continue talking about the linked benefits and maybe, and I think there's one more that uh, Matt was going to go over. So we're going to take a break and we'll be right back. This is Mike McNamara. If you're looking for a financial advisor, start by asking him or her three questions. Number one, are you a certified financial planner practitioner? Number two, are you legally held to a fiduciary standard of care for your clients? And number three, do you only give financial advice and not sell investment products? These are all simple yes-no questions. If he or she doesn't answer yes quickly and starts talking, that's a no, and it's time to move on to another advisor. All right, we're back. Good morning. You're listening to McNamara on Money. My name is Kirk Reed. I'm one of the advisors at McNamara Financial with locations in Marshfield, Mass, and also in the Merrimack Valley. Joined in the studio today by Bernadette Faulkner of Faulkner Insurance Advisory. And also on the phone, we have Matt Anderson from CPS Insurance. And right before the break, we were talking about the different ways to pay for long-term care insurance. So Matt, I think basically number one was self-insure, which as you said, is okay if you've, if it's done by choice, not by default. Number two was the traditional long-term care insurance. And then number three, we're talking about the linked benefit or hybrid policies. I don't know if you want to go back to the hybrid. There's probably, I'm sure there's more to cover on the hybrid, but I think maybe you mentioned that there was perhaps one other solution. The fourth solution is actually life insurance with an LTC rider. And so that looks very similar to the hybrid or linked benefit plan. The major difference between the two is that a hybrid linked benefit plan, its primary objective is long-term care. And its backup objective is returning a death benefit to the beneficiaries, right? That's flipped with the life and LTC rider. The life and LTC rider, the primary purpose of that plan is actually life insurance or death benefit. And you're looking to maximize that death benefit. But if you want some flexibility to be able to access that death benefit, if you should need care down the road, you can add on a rider that you can use it for long-term care purposes. That plan works particularly well for people that are 30 to 50 years old, maybe have younger children, and they really need some life insurance to protect their family, but are okay paying a little bit of extra premium to have that flexibility that they could use it for long-term care purposes. And that, yeah, and and you can correct me if I'm wrong, but I, I guess the my assumption is that doing something like that, even as a rider when you're younger, would that maybe keep the premiums more affordable or is that not the case with that type of policy? It does. It does. Certainly the earlier that you start it, always, the more affordable it's going to be, right? The earlier that you start it, you're going to have more options to choose from. I think one of the unfortunate things about long-term care in general is, particularly men, though most men are guilty of dismissing this need, and they find it very difficult to envision a world 
where they need help. Most men view the world as they're alive, living my life and doing my thing, or I'm dead. And there's nothing in between. So lots of times with long-term care, clients wait until some health issue has happened, and now it's really too late. And now we don't have access to all of the options that we'd like to have access to, and we're pigeonholed into maybe one solution or possibly no solution because we've waited too long to implement a plan. Could, could I ask maybe, maybe you, Matt, and also Bernadette, same question as far as, can you give us a generic sweet spot as far as age-wise when somebody might, might consider one of these policies based on, based on premiums and how long they might pay them and that type of thing? Matt, you want to give a go? Yeah, so I'd say that there's always outliers. So if all that you do is long-term care, like myself, you're probably going to be on the earlier end. So I'm 42 years old, and I purchased my plan when I was 39 years old. Most 39-year-olds are not thinking about long-term care. That would be very peculiar for other 39-year-olds. Agreed. That you can spend money. Yeah. always tugs on your money and different things that you would like to do with it. Most 30-year-olds are concentrating on home purchasing and other assets or other ways to spend their money. But I'd say the average purchase age across the industry is 57 years old. Okay. I personally think that's probably a little bit later than I'd like to see, but if you've got the resources to consider it, the sooner you consider it, the better. Ideally, certainly in your 50s. Okay, so your just generic thought, not necessarily, not a recommendation, but just your thought is that somebody in their early to mid 50s is probably an ideal time to, to consider this? There's some really attractive things that you can do for very affordable pricing in your early 50s that start to become very expensive the longer that you wait. So if you do have that disposable income and have resources that you can commit to this. Um, the earlier that you address it, the better. And one of the things that you can do in your 30s, 40s, and 50s that starts to become prohibitively expensive the older you get is adding 5% compound inflation growth. With the, historically, with the current interest rate environment, maybe not so much right now, 5% compound growth on these benefits is very expensive. But if you take advantage of it when you're younger, it's much more affordable, and the power of that compounding has even more time to work for you, and your benefits really balloon over the long run. So I love 40s and 50-year-olds considering coverage and showing them what that money can grow to by average claim time if they're taking advantage of a 5% compound growth. Yeah, yeah, we do, we do the same thing with young folks and their investments or their retirement savings. It's having that time is your friend when you're young. So I can see how that applies to this as well. And to reiterate, we talked about this in the first half. These plans, one of the most important components in designing these plans is to make sure you put an inflation factor, an in, inflation growth feature on it. Some people are inclined to just buy a lump sum kind of a plan, and that's really a bad idea because of inflation. So I have never written a policy for a client that didn't have an inflation rider factor on it so it would grow 3% compound a year or something like that. I've had to push a few people into it, but it is the responsible thing to do for any professional advising someone. That's one thought. The other thought I have, I couldn't agree with you more, Matt, on when the ideal time is for the reasons you gave and also because people's health is usually 
in a much better place in their 40s or 50s, mid-50s, than it is if they're trying to do this when they're 65 or 70. It's just a lot tougher to get insurance if your health has declined. And I'd also add from personal experience that sometimes I see people pivoting to this, not necessarily at an age, but at a sort of a, a life transition point. And it's when their kids are wrapping up, finishing college, or they've finished paying for college, putting aside the money. They may be starting to pivot toward thinking about retirement. Couples are look, starting to look toward each other. Their kids are moving on and they're empty nesters. And they look at each other and say, what about us? How do we take care of ourselves? And they start thinking about planning their own long-term care and investing money into that pool of money. If that is on the late side, but for some people, that's when they in reality can do it, when they've checked some other boxes like college, Correct. paying off the mortgage, et cetera. Yeah, no, that's and it. that's okay. Yeah. If it's later is better than never, and a small amount of insurance is better than none. That sounds like a poster or something, but I, I think that's really a, a sound financial piece of advice. Yeah, that's a good point about the, the how the ages line up there. Yeah, if Matt's saying a good time is in your 50s, but yeah, that's when most people are, if they have kids, that's, you know, they're usually paying for college around that time, typically. And so that, that might be a tough one to, to cover all those things at the same time, but it's, but I understand we're talking, we're talking ideals here and, and it's just depend. it's very, it's very situational dependent. Yeah, and I'd also say the type of solution that you're looking at is going to range based on your age. So, we can find a solution for someone, fingers crossed, hopefully the health is okay, all the way up through age 85. But what that solution at age 85 is going to look like compared to what it would look like if someone was purchasing in their 50s is going to be vastly different. I think the good news is knowing that all the way through age 85, we do have options that we can at least look at. It's just less options than we had when you were I don't know if Bernadette has a particular route that she wants to travel here or Matt, if you do, as far as what to cover next. But I guess my, and I don't know if we can do this on the radio, but I thought it might be helpful to, if you can put some costs. I know you mentioned like that, the single premium, you threw out some numbers for that, but maybe if you could dive a little bit more into that as far as what what premiums might be because i think that's the black box that people don't know they say i heard it's expensive but they don't they don't, they don't really know what that means or so and i know it's going to be ranges ranges but even that i think is helpful to to discuss and maybe to even slightly overcomplicate it uh, matt you and i talked about this in about one sentence but it's a long answer how you design a policy what an approach is because you don't design policies to cover five years of nursing home care necessarily that would be extremely expensive would you take a crack at talking about how you might design a plan and i'm not sure about the cost part of it what do you think yeah i think first let's talk philosophy about plan design that then we can give some ranges on cost of various types of plans most people are not aware but i used to be what they call a long-term care no longer. I converted. It, I used to believe that unless you're going to address all of the cost, don't even bother. And that's fundamentally the absolutely wrong philosophy to take when it comes to long-term care. Because at the end of the day, an extended health care event, it's a cash flow issue. It's maybe husband and wife is completely healthy. Husband needs assistance. All of a sudden, they've got an extra $6,000 of expenses on a monthly basis. 
how do we pay for that extra $6,000? And people are going to have savings. People are going to have Social Security income. They're going to have retirement assets. But if we can cover the bulk of that extra $6,000, it's going to put them in a much better position financially, and it's going to allow their portfolio to carry over a much longer period of time. So hypothetically, let's just say that a client had a $2,000 per month long-term care plan. That's not what I would like to see it at ideally, but if they're living their lives and then all of a sudden they have an extra $6,000 of expenses on a monthly basis, but they find out that they've got an extra $2,000 of tax-free income to apply towards that 6000 that is absolutely going to make a meaningful impact on their financial situation. So I completely agree with what Bernadette said. She's wise beyond her years that <laughs> something is better than nothing. And I think the number one mistake that people make is they look at the average expense per cost of care and they say, if I try to buy a plan that's going to cover the cost of care, I'm never going to be able to afford it. So why bother? I would much rather you see, buy a plan that's going to cover a portion of the cost, right? Because coinsurance is a fine thing to do. You're going to have the resources to co-insure this type of thing. But the more that we can shift over to the carrier, I think the better position will put the client in, in, in the long run. Does that make sense? It does. Okay. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I have that conversation all the time with my clients and also yeah go ahead Matt and I'll add when you're, you've given the big no, picture go ahead. go ahead go ahead oftentimes when I'm designing plans and they're thinking about we're using insurance language and to our listeners I hope it relates but when we're talking about a monthly benefit it's the amount of money that the insurance plan is going to give you for every month to spend on care you decide where you want to spend it, at home, in a nursing home, somewhere. By the way, you do have control over how and where you spend money when you have private insurance, care money. But I, I talk through with clients that as your needs for care go up, usually your lifestyle changes, you're probably not traveling. You're probably not buying a new car every whatever number of years, et cetera, et cetera, and dining out every night. When you're in any an evolving care need, particularly if it's cognitive, your expenses go down and you can transfer some of the retirement money that you've that you're that you've been drawing down as income from those sort of external lifestyle things, traveling, eating out, et cetera, et cetera, toward your care. So you don't need to assume that you need to cover a hundred percent of the cost of care. You do have income. What you don't want to do is start drawing down massive amounts of your savings. That's when you're really hurting yourself, potentially hurting your partner, and certainly any heirs that you might want to, children and grandchildren, help out. If you can move income over, over time, to pay for some of the care, and then in addition, have an insurance policy cover some of it, it makes sense, it's a good strategy, and in the end, you're not overbuying on insurance. Correct. Yes. Totally agree. Okay. <laughs> and, and that's the natural tendency is that consumers want to 
take care of all the costs, which I think at the end of the day, that's one of the difficult things about designing these plans is we don't know what the cost of care is going to be, partially because it increases every year, but also because we don't know where you're going to be. What environment are you in? Are you getting care at home from non-licensed people, which is great because it's more affordable, or are you in a full-time memory facility needing 24-hour nursing care? We don't know, but if we can cover a, a good chunk of the cost, absolutely would prefer to see the client co-insure any difference as opposed to being over-insured for one. So Matt, yeah, can you maybe talk a little more details without getting too much into it, but a little more details as far as, you know, what, what you might pay into a policy and what you might get out on the back end. Could you just talk about that? Yeah, so I'd say if we first take traditional long-term care, I think the important thing to know is that the premiums are all over the board because we can design it as very affordable or Cadillac plan. So it depends on the design. As far as pricing is concerned, there's going to be a couple of factors that affect how much it's going to cost. And one of the biggest factors that people don't necessarily think about is gender, right? So if you look at males versus females, in general males do tend to check out quick and females tend to linger, right? So it's much more common for a male to pass away from a massive heart attack instantly, which from a long-term care insurance perspective, quick death is good, right? They don't want this lingering thing happen. So females do tend to linger. They tend to break down slower than males and have significantly longer claims than males. Um, so from a pricing perspective, that certainly shows up on traditional long-term care. In general, I'd say that females are about 50 to 60% more expensive than males are. So if you've got a 55-year-old couple, the female is going to be 60% more expensive than her spouse. I'd also say that health does come into play, but for traditional long-term care, um, almost all of the applications are issued at standard. There is a preferred class, but almost everyone is issued at the standard pricing. And what that premium would be, I'd, I'd say it could be 3000 to 7000 a year for a couple, depending on age, depending on benefits and plan design. It could certainly be a lot more than that, but to give you an idea, maybe three to $7,000 a year. Yeah. If you were a wild range estimate, what kind of a pool of money, what's the range for a policy like that, a monthly benefit for how long? I'm thinking about some statistics here. I want to say that for a 60-year-old couple, we could provide a shared pool of money of a million dollars for about $9,000 a year. This is a lot to unpack on that and in, in understanding how policies work. Anyone out there that needs to understand that more, there's a lot to understand, but basically it says that as a couple, you'd have a million dollars between you in today's dollars. For, that's a lot of, that's a lot of yeah, and you ta can, after tax money, tax-free money. And you can yeah. do some calculations as far as, well, how many years of $9,000 a year 
till they get to a million. It takes a long time to get there. So there is there is leverage there, right? And obviously you have to take into account inflation and factoring that in as far as what is a million in the future relative to today. But I know if you do the calculation, there, there is value there based on what you get for what you pay for. Absolutely, yeah. So we're close to 10 o'clock and uh, you about, know yeah we got about five or six more minutes so any trends i'm i have a four-page statistics on long-term care you've probably seen these lists i think cps has it on its website and other places of all different statistics about long-term care that could take a whole show to go through but a couple of them related to the different types of products were interesting it, it says that the hybrid, the combination life insurance and long-term care insurance type product that we talked about is growing in popularity in numbers of people that are choosing that option. Do you have any thoughts on where the industry is going, what new things yeah. might be on the horizon for coverage, et cetera, et cetera? Things always ebb and flow. And in general, I think what I would want people to know is always worth going through the process. My least favorite thing is defaulting into that first category of self-insuring because you, you didn't ask about what options are out there. Regardless of what the health concern is, regardless of what your budget is, at least explore the options so that you're choosing the best option for you in particular. To your question, Bernadette, what are the trends? We're actually seeing kind of a resurgence on limited benefits on the traditional side and the LTC side. I'm a huge proponent of that because that's the ultimate type of protection, particularly for things like cognitive concerns, Alzheimer's, or dementia. Those plans play particularly well. We're also seeing underwriting playing more and more of an important role in this whole process. Um, in general, traditional long-term care is the strictest of all the options when it comes to underwriting. We've historically never asked about whether parents have Alzheimer's or dementia for long-term care coverage. That's a big change that is coming and it's rapidly spreading throughout the entire industry. So historically it hasn't mattered, but now, especially with the traditional long-term care, if you have two or more immediate family members with some type of cognitive concern, they will not underwrite you. We're seeing it spread through the traditional space. I imagine that it's going to continue to spread to those other types of long-term care options as well, but it hasn't quite gotten there. So that's one of the things that I would encourage people to act on sooner rather than later is if they have a parent with Alzheimer's or dementia, those people in particular need to make sure that they try to get something in place sooner rather than later because we don't want to see those underwriting trends carry throughout the entire industry and have them shut out of coverage. And as I remember from, again, statistics, people generally think it's a physical decline that ends up generating a need for care, but I think it's more than half of care dollars are spent on people that have cognitive declines, Alzheimer's, et cetera, dementia. Uh, Cognitive concerns are the... That's what terrifies the insurance companies. Those are the biggest claims by far. They're the longest claims by far. They're the longest so and slowest declines, typically. Yes, yeah. yes. 
We, we're just about time to wrap up, Matt. We just have a minute and a half. So I just wanted to thank you for joining us today and getting up early and ruining your family's sleep and all that. Absolutely. So thank you very much. So this is so Matt Anderson, CPS Insurance. Uh, thank you again. Yeah, thank you, Matt. And, uh, and in the studio, we had Bernadette Faulkner, Faulkner Insurance Agency. Check uh, in with McNamara Financial if you're trying to get in touch with me. And I don't work with or for them, but... I won't rattle off my phone number that fast. Okay, so you can contact McNamara Financial. We can get you in touch with Bernadette if you'd like to chat some more about long-term care insurance. My name is Kirk Reed. Thanks for joining us today.